Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Mm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a nonprofit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So it feels like forever, man. feels like forever. People are complaining. Yeah, exactly. Todd. Cody and Robbie, where are you in my life? I've been, we've been missing you. Right, Todd and James. James is the one that I told you sent us that he's upset because he has to pay attention at work now um, because there's no uh, roundup for him to listen to while he's working on Mondays. Well, James, we've got you sorted this week. Absolutely. And... And if Cody can follow through and drop uh, invite links, calendar invite links on a Wednesday, we're going to be sorted for another couple of weeks. Yeah. Cody, how's that coming? We're, we're, we're almost there. We're almost there. You do have okay. to realize that it's also archery antelope season here. Are you actually chasing antelope? I have a friend here. Uh, Did you go out today yes. chasing antelope? Yes. Not chasing scouting. The season, opened, oh. the season opened two days ago. Um, and I have a friend, actually, my wife's best friend from back in Texas, her husband is a, uh, last year he shot his first, white, shot a whitetail, his first big game that he'd ever harvested. Um, and so I decided, you know, why not? Second time around, why not chase public land antelope with a bow? So he's out there just to, he's come to do that? Yeah. And he's trusting you to help him get it done? Well, today I told him, okay, here, there, there's this. Does he know your story from last year? He does, in fact. I picked him, okay. I picked him up at the airport <laughs> this morning. I picked him up at the airport this morning, and I said, listen, we, today really just needs to be a scouting day because my wife is out of town on business, so I had school pickup, right? Mm -hmm. 
I said, I don't want to go over there, march off from the truck, get all wrapped up in this and end up forgetting a kid at school. So he's like, yeah, no problem. We'll start hunting in the morning. Father of the year, my man. Father of the year. Well, or just don't want to be yelled at husband because I forgot the kids. True, true. So I, we, it's the, the, I said, I look, I got about six spots. And I really, you know this about me. I don't really keep secrets, right? Like someone were to call me and say, hey, where can I go catch big drown, brown trout on a fly rod? I would tell you, okay? Okay. No one, literally. You have to be a close enough friend of mine that you come to and stay at my house to archery antelope hunt with me because I have found a couple spots. <laughs> and I mean mm. spots. I told him, I told him when he, yesterday when he called and was doing his final like gear, you know, well, I need to bring this, well, I need to bring this, what's the weather going to be like? He said, how's it, how's it looking? I said, I can promise you three things. I said, I'm going to promise you that I'll be at the airport to pick you up. I'm going to promise you that you got a bed to sleep in. And I will promise you that we will see big antelope bucks. And beyond that, you know, it's hard. I'm telling you, it's hard. There was no promise to distance of how nope. far, nope. how close you would see those antelope nope, bucks? just eyes on them. That's all I was willing to promise. So today I said, look, we're going to go look at this one spot. It's my top spot. We're going to kind of hash out a plan for in the morning when we get there. And we're 100 yards into it in the truck. And he goes, holy ex expletive. Mm -hmm. And there was uh, 11 antelope, seven of which were trigger pullers. Two of which, if you posted it on social media, it would get shared. I mean, legit, legit, legit 85 inches. And isn't 85 massive? Yeah, really. I'm talking really big. And that's, that's really big and really wide. I think 80, as far as I know, that from 25 years ago, I think 80 is Pope and Young qualification. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they were 80 to 90 yards from the truck. So we actually, I'm like, okay, we can't stop. That's the golden rule when you're driving through antelope country is just don't stop the truck. They don't care. So we, we mm -hmm. drove past a little ways, went over a hill, and we sat there and looked at each other in the truck. And I'm like, all right, look, there's the only thing. When I say it's time to go, we got to go. I can't leave the kids at school, and I got nobody else. <laughs> so we, on our first day, which was supposed to be a scouting day, um, put a move on to Whopper Bucks. It failed. Um, and feel free to text me and make fun of me as long as you have – spot and stock archery hunted antelope in your life because i would make the argument not physical fitness wise but just sneakiness yeah just success ratio wise i would mm -hmm. argue that spot and stock antelope hunting i'll say i think it's the hardest thing to do in the united states to have success at i don't mean I, not, so to, I don't need to, sheep hunters coming at me. I'm not talking about I had to walk up a mountain. I'm talking about there's right. the animal. I need to get it. I need to get an arrow in it. That is a damn process with an antelope. So doing some fact checking quickly, Pope and Young minimum score entry requirements for pronghorn antelope 67. Oh, wow. I was way off. I shot an 81 incher and thought I barely made it. 
81 with a bow or with a rifle? Uh, I shot three antelope in my life, and the two biggest ones were with a bow. Wow. I think 80 is... And here's where we're going to... Maybe 80 is Boone and Crockett. Might be. Something. I know 80 is a thing. I know if you shoot an 80-inch antelope, you're happy. And I have, exactly. I have an 81. And I don't have, sco- wow. I don't have scores on the other two. Okay. I don't have the head from one of the other ones. Do you want to tell everyone um, what happened last year? I got... In your pronghorn, antelope, uh, archery, and devils? I had a... Just to remind everyone, just to I remind had, everyone, yeah, you know. Yeah. I had a pronghorn legitimately duck my arrow um, mm. and launched Dang. it. Like, I know folks at home can't see, but the, the arrow came in and hit its back and skipped and rocketed straight up in the air. <laughs> And then, uh, then he ran to ninety eight. The shot was it. The shot was at sixty one. Which I don't want to hear it. I'll shoot all day at sixty one. I'll shoot with anybody that wants to at sixty one. It's not too far with my setup. Um, ninety eight is, in fact, too far for my setup. Um, yeah, too far for my skill level, my eyeballs. Um, and he ran to ninety eight and just stood there and looked at me for a solid ten minutes as I basically wept on my knees like the scene from from platoon. From platoon. Did you see that thing that went around social media of the guy that killed the pronghorn antelope with his bow? And uh, he was proud that he killed it at, I think, 120 yards? Yeah, I go, uh, are we, are we going to, are you, are you uh, throwing, a, I'm, I'm just, throwing a softball I, no, of, an, of an ethical discussion? I, I don't know, maybe. You know, it was almost like, I think the crux of what I saw as the response to him posting that was good for you, congrats, but that doesn't belong on social media. Keep that to yourself. Here's here's all I can do is give you my personal feelings. Is the re I bow hunt for two reasons. And, and the first one is there's a crap load more tags available. Okay. It's just, there's, there's more hunting available and that's increase your opportunities. Right. right. And the second one is I like getting close. I, I, I mm-hmm. like, that's the part of it that makes me, I can tell you that I, that antelope last year, I originally spotted at far that my range finder was hitting 999 because it only goes to a thousand yards mm-hmm. and the next two hours of closing the distance to 60 was possibly just as exciting for me as it had been. I, I think I, I, I don't want to exaggerate. I, it was thrilling to me. That's the part of it that I like. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to find ways to shoot them further away, I want to find ways to get closer to him. But I really don't. Uh, I really don't judge. I really don't. I mean, if if you can, you know, I've watched guys, you know, drop an elk at eleven, twelve hundred yards. And there was a time in my life when when I was fairly well trained at shooting a rifle at that distance. And I don't mm-hmm. judge, but that's not if I see. If I'm rifle hunting and I see a mule deer or an elk at a thousand yards, my brain is instantly scouring the landscape for how do I get to three less than three? 
Right, right. Because that's the that's the Do you think that the argument for this post was that and again, I don't know in terms of engagement, you know, but it's the typical rhetoric. You're encouraging people to do that. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I get it. I think I think uh could be. There's probably some of that, but I mean, does that mean anything you ever put on social media, you're encouraging someone to do that thing? I don't know. Right. I don't know. I, I, I do think there's, you know, and I guarantee it, I'll speak for, I'll speak for uh, Matt Ranella. He's, he's not going to like that because of the people out there that think that that's what you do is you shoot an antelope mm-hmm. with your bow at 110 mm-hmm. yards um, mm-hmm. but are you gonna, I mean, you're gonna blast a Cam Haynes who, you know, goes way beyond 110 when he's practicing with his bow. Yeah, but he's doing that for practice so that, that, and we all do it ourselves, practice long so that the short shot is, you're extremely confident in that short shot. Yeah. I don't know. There's something to it, but at the same time. Is it desperate? Are you? Let me. I'll, I'll throw one last thing out there, and we'll move on to the next topic. If you throw a dart at an animal at 120 yards, are you just are you desperate to make the kill? Then, not if you're good at it. Not 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 not, not if. Mm, that's true. Not if you if you're very confident, maybe you're not. Like you said, you know, you may not. You may be dialed in yeah. at 100, 120. Right. I, I'll kill that thing all day yeah. long. You know, absolutely, and a hundred percent. That's pop. There are absolutely people who can, you know, hold a a three inch group at one hundred and ten yards mm-hmm. with their compound. Um, mm-hmm. It's just not. It's never been personally for me. The thrill is is getting close as opposed to, as opposed to the success. I I think I would rather sneak to 60 and blow it. I don't know. That's a rash statement. I was going to say, I think I'd rather sneak to 60 and blow it than kill the antelope at 110. I don't know. I don't know, but I do know that I like the, I like the, uh, I like thinking I have a set of skills that not only includes being able to shoot my bow, but includes being able to get close. And so I don't look for, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I shoot a, I shoot a $500 rifle at big game with a, you know, with a Vortex scope on it because not because I don't appreciate high end gear, um, but because I, I don't I don't want to be comfortable past 400 yards. I, I don't believe, well, I like to say some 400-inch elk steps up in front of me at 500 and me and this rifle might see what we've got. But 400, 400 is my, that's my number. That's, you know, and, mm-hmm. and if I can't get there, but it, again, it's not a judgment. It's just that's what I like about it. I like yeah, it's your, it's your sub it's your subjective number, which at the end of the day, let's be honest that that subjective number is what causes so many fights and disagreements in the hunting community from a rifle perspective, from a bow perspective, from freaking high fence perspective. What is technically you know 
fair chase hunting when it's behind a high fence is 300 acres 400 acres 600 acres 8,000 acres yeah anything really anything that you cut um i'm not trying to be sexist but anything that you cut men loose to do i mean look at golf right i mean i firmly believe that golf should still you should still have to have a wooden shaft or you can't play golf (laughs) you know i mean we're Excuse me, Grandpa well, Cody. Cheapest creepers. It, it's a, it's a spoiled. You should have then said everyone should be shooting sharps rifles. Then, gosh dang. Well, I think there's a. Okay, I don't literally mean there should be a rule about golf, and I don't literally think. I but I do think that a lot of things that we do, we're on an eternal quest to make the thing easier instead of getting better. And, you know, I can go out and hit and I am, I'm top, I'm the bottom 5% of golfers in the world. I mean, absolutely atrocious, (laughs) but I still hit a 275 yard drive with a driver before. And, you know, 80, 90 years ago, no one did. The best golfers in the world didn't do that. And golf courses, some of them got longer, but not that much. You know, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. I don't know. Again, I'm not making a judgment on what you should or shouldn't do. I'm genuinely not. I don't care. If it's legal, then you should be able to do it in your in your area. You should, you should do it. But mm-hmm. to me, I want to prove that I can do it, not prove that I can buy the equipment to compensate for what I can't do. All right. Well said. Well said. Um, couple of uh, shout-outs. Um, the two winners of the Colorado Cow Elk Hunt. Um, sorry, those that uh, that did join and support us and didn't win the Cow Elk Hunt. Uh, we appreciate the support. And there's obviously lots of lots and other stuff coming down the pipeline. We gave a bunch of stuff away in August. Uh, in July, we got a bunch of stuff to give away in August. September, October, we're doing another supporters drive, so stay tuned for that. But two winners, Ryan Martin. Ryan Martin doesn't even have Instagram, and he supports us. And I asked him, I said, how did you find out about us? And he said, oh, you're on a Ben O'Brien podcast and really enjoyed what you had to say. And ever since then, I've been huge fans of Blood Origins. So he's a blue-collared hunter out of Texas. He's coming to shoot a cow elk uh, in Colorado, Trinchera. And then the other lady, uh, the other person who won it is a lady uh, who is a brand new supporter to Blood Origins. It's the is Dee Dee Lancey, Chief Operating Officer of Fieldcraft Survival. Uh, chatted to both of them today. They're both hell of excited. Trinchera's hell of excited. And um, yeah, I can't wait to see that uh, Southern Colorado landscape, man. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's an incredible place. And uh dare I say, beautiful country. Not not uh, not exactly my neighbor, but very much the same type of terrain. How far is Southern Colorado from you? Well, I mean, if you want to get technical, I live in Southern Colorado, but way, I live, I'm... The border, way border Southern Colorado. Oh. Two hours? No, well, yeah, yeah. It's about 85 miles as the crow flies, but it'll take you two hours to drive it. Okay, all right, cool. Cool. Trinchera is quite a bit west for me as well. Okay, okay. Well, you said you got a bunch of text messages that have come in. Some positive, some negative, yeah, no, some chastising. I don't think any, uh, <laughs> any real 
negative. Um, we got a couple of uh, – here's one that I – Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You have to start I, with the text message from your mother. Oh, yeah. My mom sent me a text message. It wasn't on the uh, – It wasn't on our text no, my line. my mom used my actual cell phone to send me a text message. <laughs> And said, just got done watching Out of Africa, which was the last. How impressive is that, that your mother was watching some something that we put on social media or YouTube? Is that impressive or is that like, that's what she oh, does? Oh, no, no. I'm old enough that she doesn't really care at all what I'm doing anymore. She has to be interested. Like, you know, if I was 15 and I made a video, then that's not impressive. Moms are like obligated, <laughs> right? No, no, no. My mother has moved on to... to uh, gardening and painting and uh I've got, and your and your mother is a hunter or not a hunter uh never that i uh, i think i'm pretty i think i can say never hunted um okay. never was never was you know never never showed any pushback when my dad and i went hunting we did i can remember when my dad decided there was a little bit of a uh, little bit of a domestic incident when i was about 12 or 13. So my dad and I duck hunted on Saturdays during duck season. That's just what you did. Um, okay. We were also in Kansas, yes, right? Yes. Um, my dad took me to do other kinds of hunting. I think it was very obligatory. Like he didn't want his son to grow up and not have not gone deer hunting, but in his mind, it really just screwed up a day of duck hunting. That's kind of how my dad mm. worked. Um, and we did, we did all the, kinds of hunting that you could do but really like once or twice and then we went back to duck hunting um which i loved it i wasn't opposed to it at all but i think the only pushback was at one time my dad decided we had a we just slammed him one saturday and we decided he decided we were going the next morning which Ooh. meant we weren't going to be in the pew going to church, church right. next to mom and uh that i don't that i'm this is a funny thing I'm doing here. If my mom or dad listens, I don't remember this as a bad memory. I do remember thinking mom's going to kill us. And then mom didn't kill us. So it wasn't that big of a deal, <laughs> but I do remember thinking that. But, no, my mom watched out of Africa and sent me a text and said, um, it, it, basically her text was, it made her think differently. Um, and you know, when I told you about it, I said, that's our exact audience. That's, that's, that's our audience the people that know that hunting exists and aren't necessarily aren't hunters but really aren't necessarily anti-hunters um but maybe a thing like texas high fence ranches or high fence ranches in general is a thing that they have a certain negative perception of i think that that's very likely that there's a lot of those people out there that you know that think it's rich texas oil billionaires who are driving around with a whiskey and a porter carrying their gun to shoot something they shipped over from africa three days ago um, mm -hmm. it's just not the true story so if you get a chance go check out uh out of africa on the blood origins youtube channel and uh see that uh, there's some good folks down there doing some good things and there's that's that's one of them, Robbie. That there's a lot of. We have supporters, we have blood origin supporters and very avid hunters, who have a negative perception of high fence hunting. 
hundred percent. I have a guy actually sitting in my in our on our IG DMs right now who who wants to give a differing opinion on high fence hunting. And uh I'm considering giving him a go, but I want him to be I think I'm gonna give him a call first. Because he talks about strictly from the position of wildlife management ownership and access and the implications of expanding the practice here in the U.S. outside of Texas. And, um, you know, we we like to sit ourselves in the middle, right? And so if you listen to the High Fence podcast that we've already pushed out, I was very much the protagonist in those, in those arguments, which was sitting myself on the other side of the, the proverbial fence. Well, this guy wants to sit back in that seat, and now we come from the other angle, the protagonist of, we're okay with high fence hunting. Um, not that we have a position one way or the other, but um, it, it could pose to be a very interesting discussion if he has the chops, essentially, to have thought through his, his sort of thought pattern. Yeah, no, I think it would be, that's incredible. I, I love those type of conversations. Let's talk about this middle of the road thing. Mm. I don't think I am middle of the road. And I really don't think we have, once I get it, we, 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 uh, you decide if we mention names or not. There is a social media, an organization that has a social media account that, that comes after us every once in a while as being, wishy-washy or portraying hunters as victims was was a direct quote (laughs) at one time that they said about us and i think it comes from the fact that we let everyone speak right Mm -hmm. but i don't i -hmm. I think when you say middle of the middle middle ground middle of the road Mm -hmm. some people take Mm -hmm. that as you won't take a stance on anything which we, which is untrue. Which is completely untrue. We just listen to both sides before. We've taken some very strong stances. Very sure, strong. Sure. Also, if you'd have gone down and filmed a 10-acre high fence that had 500 animals in it and guys were just poking a gun through the fence to shoot something, we would have taken a stance. You know, we, yeah, we're, that's not we're, right. we're opposed to that. I think mm-hmm. that the that the way the way that people end up at one end or the other, I hate high fence or high fence is perfect. All high fence operations are perfect. That's where I will take the middle ground and say, people that are running high fence operations for the sake of good conservation and taking good care of the animals and doing proper management techniques is a really, really, really good idea. Mm-hmm. People that put up a fence to make a profit and kill animals that are in an unhealthy and unnatural environment just to make money is about as bad an idea as there is in my mm-hmm. mind. And that's, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I, 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 I struggle to find the, the proper statement, I also, I'm starting to use, like, when I was in South Africa last time, like, I'm really... Um, I love it. I love it. You're using it Right, proper. I did. I use it good there, too, right? I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
I'll tell you what, I was just on the road in Maine and New Hampshire with three Americans. I had all three saying proper at the end. Yeah, I, I really like it. When I was in South Africa last time, I was jealous of the way that everybody used the word proper. And so... Oh, that was a proper cold beer. Right. Oh, that's a proper yeah, yeah, buffalo. Yeah, it's very, very, sounds yeah. very, very cool when they do it. Um, and so I'm gearing up, right? For those, for, <laughs> the, for those of you that don't know, first of all, I always feel like... Cody's going to Africa in two weeks. Yeah, exactly. There will be lots of people at my house watching the children and the dogs. I always feel weird announcing that there's not going to be anyone in my house for two weeks. It's not going to be the case. We have grandparents who have guns coming so don't come to my house but <laughs> I, I i struggle but let, let's hold on i finished my point i struggle with the way blood origin takes i struggle with with uh vocalizing the way blood origins mm. takes a stance on things and i i don't think we're the least wishy-washy of anyone we just listen to everyone and hopefully that or, or that's mm -hmm. That's what I want it to be. That's what I. That's what I want to be. Um, yeah. I'll take a stance and stand up for what's right as hard as anyone. Um, I don't pretend to know that I always know what's right. Maybe that's the uh, problem that some folks have with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think middle of the road means, you know, and I like uh, Nephi and David when they said they're the radical center in that – I, I would tend to maybe say middle of the road is that radical center, which is that we tend to listen to both sides of the equation, both sides of the argument. We want to hear from both sides of the argument. We we do not pigeonhole ourselves in terms of our thinking one side or the other, which allows us to have those conversations. And in those conversations, when you're thinking and hearing from both sides of the coin or both sides of the argument, when I say middle of the road, we, we position ourselves as the protagonist on either the left-hand shoulder or the right-hand shoulder of that road, depending on the opinion of the individual on that phone call or that podcast or that interview, because it, it provides us an opportunity to really dig deeper into their thought process and the why behind their position, which either strengthens our stance as you said or it allows us to rethink our stance and reposition our 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 thoughts and our actions and our words around that 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 position that argument that whatever i agree 100% i also will lay claim that you just proved that it's hard to vocalize that, right? Like you, you, you went on for 90 seconds to explain it. And it's mm -hmm. important to me that we continue to have the discussion. Cause that's what I, that's what I kind of really dug about blood origins. What three years ago now, when we met in bear mm -hmm. camp was, it was, it's it's telling everyone's story and then relying on the listener to let it affect them how they want to and, and make up their own mm -hmm. mind. And that's. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think your mother summed it up best and that it made her think. Yeah, exactly. And that's if, if, if that's what we're trying to do to people is make them. Think. You have to be. Make them really think. To really think you have to be humble enough to admit you may not already know. If, if, if you if you think you already know, 
you're going to spend zero time thinking of it. You think you're already positive on the answer to a question, you won't contemplate it. And that's our, I think we're good at that. Yep. Anyway. Well, between now and the next roundup, um, this week following this roundup, we'll have two very controversial podcasts that will hit an issue from two sides of the spectrum. And it's tied to the Texans for Mountain Lions uh, petition that got placed at the for the uh, at the Texas Parks and Wildlife. It's been denied already, uh, but they're probably going to form an advisory council to discuss future uh, management uh, th thoughts and uh, discussions around mountain lions in Texas. Um, and that commission uh, meeting is happening August the twenty fourth and the twenty fifth, and it sounds like. It's getting very, very close to. Do you remember what the commission meetings were like with the Arizona Trail camera yep. back in January? Yep. It's getting very, very close to that level of frenziness uh, from both sides. And you know, that's good, really. In, 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 yeah, it's in, good. We, we want to have that conversation. We want to be the people to have that conversation. And we're having it with Ben Masters, who's uh, on the Texans for Mountain Lions petition. And then a guy called Greg Simons, who's a wildlife consultant for a lot of area in West Texas. And actually, Ben Masters uh, suggested Greg Simons from the other side of the coin because they know that they've had uh, discussions about it in the past. So That process, as much as people dig in and get infuriated, is exactly how we work through things. And, and uh, you know, to me, it's just like those guys in Maine that are that are decades into fighting for Sunday hunting. They keep doing it. Dude, I had the same conversation again in Maine with them, with the people on the ground. They keep doing it the right way. They keep pushing forward and they keep using the system. Everybody nowadays wants their choice to be implemented immediately, but it's just not how it works. Um, so those are good conversations to have. Talking about those conversations, didn't you record one? Don't we have another one coming? I have two. They're both recorded. Oh, they're both recorded, yeah. huh? All right, we need to drop those back to back because I would assume those are two different positions, right? Didn't you vote? You recorded with the guy who is trying to sue. I recorded with the guy. The I recorded an episode with the guy who is the head of the. Um, they've now they've given up on the legislature and are taking it to the courts. So they filed a lawsuit to get access to Sunday hunting, um, and then I recorded with. A gentleman who has he's been the head of the Outfitters Association. He is a fishing guide in Maine and uh, is also a spokesperson for a group called like the I'm going to butcher this and it's not right, but it's kind of like the small time loggers or the small time the the, the landowners of small logging operations kind of thing. I am terribly butchering that but that's a basic representation of it um and they are adamantly opposed to sunday hunting as well um i then also i recently i, I got a text here's a segue i got a text i have absolutely no i do have proof that this is true that this article exists someone sent us a text someone from maine sent us a text in the text was pictures of an article Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember you telling me this. Um, who, and the article explicitly states that wealthy landowners in Maine implemented no Sunday hunting 
because the immigrant loggers only got Sundays off so that they so that mm. they could they could not hunt even on the public ground because they were they worked at the time the immigrant loggers worked all the loggers probably this article made it sound like I don't have I don't know the answer when was this article published I'm um, like 67 1967 66 something like that um, and it was a cool, like he, he sent, he took pic, the person that sent us this took pictures with their phone of the magazine article, the whole thing, Wow, which was a lot of, wow. a lot of pinch to zoom to read <laughs> <laughs> two pages of magazine article, but thank you very much for sending it. Um, and it explicitly stated that that's who pushed no Sunday hunting through a hundred plus years ago in Maine was the wealthy landowners when they realized that the immigrants would not be able to kill their deer because the only day they had off was Sunday. Zero idea if that's actually true. I do, in fact, know the article exists. So that's a concept to think about as you process that argument. Uh, any other text messages that raise to the, the top of the yeah, pile? Tim from Saskatchewan. I, I, it looks like maybe I owe Tim an apology. Um, I don't remember it exactly, but maybe somewhere in the uh, copper versus lead bullets thing, I referenced Tim, and I think maybe I said something about him being a new hunter. Um, Tim, I apologize, and I don't know where I got that, but Tim, very casually. is not a new hunter. Yeah, Tim's been hunting for 30-plus years. Um, I, it, and I, just, I must have gotten my text messages mixed up. Tim, Tim's also not in any way a jerk about it he's just like hey guys i don't recall saying i'm a new hunter um he is new to copper um and he mentions that he has fired three shots of copper rounds at deer that led to three dead deer and then we're okay with this at blood origins he mentions that he loves barnes copper we like barnes bullets too they're barnes give us a call if you want to become a member of the conservation club <laughs> but uh <laughs> Tim, Tim let me know that he is not a new hunter. And Tim, I apologize if I uh, got uh, my information incorrect there as I was talking about you. Ryan sent us a suggestion for another. Okay. You know how Americans are horrible? Like, okay. And I could, I could finish that statement so many different ways, but I won't. New Zealand word. M-A-O-R-I. Pronounce that for me. Maori. Okay. That's, I think I was going to put more O in it. Like more. Or Maori. Or Maori. Maori. Say Maori. Okay. Um, Ryan sent us a suggestion of a Maori hunter in New Zealand um, that has a TV show with some contact information, who I have cool. sent an email to and not heard back yet. But thanks, Ryan, for that suggestion. Um, I, got, I reached out to Shane Mahoney. Get him on the podcast. Yeah, that's true. Todd mm-hmm. from South Dakota, who is one of our uh, – Todd's an avid texter, sends a lot of great content to us. Todd sends this. Oh, we should talk about this anyway, too. Todd sent uh, – it's been a while. This is Todd from South Dakota. Here's what I'm wondering about. Why is Robbie doing a read for Bushnell when he is not an archery guy? How do we get Robbie and his savages – he actually says that <laughs> into archery. I think it's time he steps up his hunting opportunities. 
response? Uh, good, good response. Good question. Uh, I am in on in archery. Uh, I have a bow. I have lots of arrows. Uh, but the way that I couch it is this: I bow hunt. I am not a bow hunter. And the only difference between those two things is I just don't practice enough. I just don't. I haven't got it figured out yet in my day to set aside a, a time frame to sling 10 arrows or 15 arrows down at a target. And the reason being, I'll be completely honest with everyone, and I think this might be a lesson for folks, um, is I had a huge scare when I was shooting my bow in the backyard about three years ago, four years ago. I was outside with the savages. The savages were like five and four, and they were messing around me. And I was telling them, all right, stay right there. And as I drew my bow back, they something happened, and my finger hit the trigger of the bow. And the arrow went over my workshop. It did not go near the, the target at all. And I was living in an urban community. And I literally, my heart, like, went into my stomach. I was like, oh, my God, what, where did that arrow just go? And, like, my wife wasn't home, thankfully. And um, I got the boys on a bike, and I just biked around in the trajectory of the arrow. And, like, two houses beyond, I found the arrow pegged into the front yard of someone's yard. And I picked up the arrow. And I told my wife this. And her response was, Robbie... You could have changed, and excuse the pun here, you, you could have changed the trajectory of this family in five seconds. And I could have. And ever since then, I've just been very, like even to a point where, you know, to, to, Todd's, to Todd's question, I just don't like it in the backyard, even though I know I could probably control it all now. Just the mishap, the potential of a mishap, so I've got to find an archery range here where we've moved to in Tennessee. I, I need to do that. I need to find a place that I could put a target and feel fr you know, comfortable with there's woods behind it. So that's my excuse. Um, I do bow hunt. I've got the... The savages have uh, traditional bows that they love shooting. So um, I will attempt to do more, Todd. And yes, Bushnell, uh, thanks for them coming on as a, a podcast promo. Uh, and they've got some phenomenal products uh, that you may not consider Bushnell to have. Um, so check them out. We got on that note, since we transitioned to that, first of all, thank you very much to Bushnell. Um, I will say that I spent some time at the Bushnell booth at the Western Hunting Expo. Um, and uh, they have some incredible products. I'll... I'll, I'll are you, let me ask this question. Are you in the camp of, and I think maybe a lot of them are, and I'll be honest, I think I think I am, until I tested some of these products, that more expensive is better? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in some things, in, in straight optics, in I need to see a long ways in low light, um, there is different levels of quality. Now, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's two things to that. One of them is if you're a tree stand hunter in the woods, um, I know a lot, I know some guys that have killed, I mean, have, have arrowed 
multiple 170 plus whitetails and don't carry binoculars with them mm-hmm. right? because of the conditions mm-hmm. that they're in. But if you're mm-hmm. out here in this country, um, I mean, the next time you come out to my house here at 7,000 feet and we can see, I can see for 60 miles from my house. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll show you side by side that I don't, I don't like, you know, it's not a phrase, the more expensive is better. Um, but there are different levels of quality and the higher levels of mm-hmm. quality mm-hmm. tend to cost mm-hmm. more money. Um, mm-hmm. I also want to say this and I, I am struggling with the way of wording it. Um, if you've made a previous assessment of Bushnell's optics, you need to go put your eyes on some, just go to the store and try them. And the way to try optics is to try one pair of binoculars and then looking at the exact same thing in the exact same light, switch to another pair of binoculars. And there is, there can be a drastic difference. Um, Mm -hmm. When I was a whitetail guide, I had a guy, I had a pair of, of what I thought were good binoculars um, and told a guy that we needed, it was time to get in the truck one evening um, that we were done because of low light. And he handed me a different pair of binoculars and I, and we stayed, I mean, we stayed for 20 <laughs> minutes longer watching deer. Um, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's a real thing. But uh, I don't believe that you have to spend $3,000 on a pair of binos. Um, I do believe that if you're looking for animals over a half mile, that you can't spend $150 on binoculars either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask any other text messages. Uh, yeah, you, you honestly, because of the fact that we haven't done this in two weeks, you need to tell me when you're tired of text messages. Um, Brandon, let me throw something. Let me throw in an admin piece before you do the next text message. So you're wearing, nobody can see this, but you're wearing a blood origins hat. Uh, that is a beautiful leather patch hat that we finally have gotten around to making. We've got a black and a green. You've got the green on right now. Um, but yeah, we've made a bunch of hats. Um, we sent a bunch to Trinchera, actually. Did you know that their guides are wearing Blood Origins hats? Nice. <laughs> yeah, so the skinners in the skinning shit are going to be wearing Blood Origins hats. Uh, but we'll get those up on the website somehow. I'll have to figure it out. Uh, I may be shipping a bunch of hats out at night, but that's okay. Uh, we'll get those hats up and people can buy them. They're really cool hats. Um, really high quality hat. Um, all right, Brandon. What did Brandon have to say? Uh, Brandon, who, who's texted us before, um, really gave us gave us some nice compliments about the text. And he, he says, I know Robbie likes to stick to the one-hour format but you guys should keep could should consider a long form version once a month. Um, mm. And, you know, um, that's uh, some of that, Brandon. I, I, I think you're right. Like some of my favorite podcasts, sometimes the episodes are three and four hours. Um, some of it's just our time, right? Like, it's not like, but at least half of the reason that we stick to the hour is we both have families and other things to do. Um, and we record these in the evenings. Um, but, uh, you know, there's times when I felt like we could go for, we could go on and on and on, especially when we get a great guest that's passionate about a subject. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know that 
I don't think you're wrong, Brandon. Um, but it's good. I think next time we have someone on that is rocking and rolling and we're rocking and rolling, it's just rock yeah, and roll. absolutely. Here's one. Uh, we have an anonymous person who I don't I – don't, um, I ask, right? First of all, here's the explanation. I don't have these people's phone numbers when they're coming into this text system that we have, right? I never have their phone number. So sometimes I got to scroll way back up, like to when they introduced themselves at the first one, because they're not contacts on my phone. They're coming in as a, into a text system, right? Um, this person I did ask. So the next time someone texts is that you have to start a text by saying, this is naked. Yeah, that this would, is that taught every be, time. That would be selfishly, great. Selfishly, that would save me a, a considerable amount of time every week. This is the person that sent us is very adamant about uh, the Montana landowners, Montana large landowners that are getting involved in the allotment of elk permits. Mm. I will tell you that's the only that's about the information that I know to be a fact on that. Um, there's accusations of the governor. There's accusations of conspiracy. There's all kinds of accusations that the Montana elk allotment is being messed with. I don't want to fuel conspiracy theories um, because I don't really know what's going on because I've read articles. Yeah, we didn't get into it at all because it's just so complicated. Well, you literally man. just have two sides saying different things. And hmm. and again, back to our earlier point, I don't want to be a part of assuming that the side that I agree with is not lying. They, they, they may be the mm -hmm. ones that are lying to us. Um, mm -hmm. He sent an article this week, though. I'm, I'm going to read a little bit of this. Um, and it's relatively uh, – I don't think he's angry, but it's serious. He sent, Cody, I was a little disappointed that Robbie allowed the most recent podcast guest to so grossly misrepresent Matt Ranella's case against R3, against R3. While it's outlandish, his argument doesn't hinge on ownership. <laughs> this is what I love. Everyone that's like, Matt Ranella's arguments are so hard to distinguish. They're like, I think I kind of agree with him, but he sounds crazy, is basically how... You come across with Matt Ranella. It's based on what seems to be a thorough analysis of hunting participation. The real crux of Mac's argument pertain to the bastardization of hunting culture on social media platforms. Um, this was July 22nd. This is the downfall of not doing a, a roundup for two weeks. But um, Dear Anonymous in Montana, um, don't be disappointed in us allowing someone to make a point, even if we disagree with it, that's what, that's mm -hmm. what we want to do. Um, and then maybe it's a lost art of just being respectful of another human being, even if you think they're wrong. Um, but it's an art that I'm working on trying to keep alive. So. Well, I think it's also a very valid point to make here. That just because we didn't say anything doesn't mean we endorse it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also uh, anonymous in Montana. Um, go, goes on to get a little bit political, which is absolutely 100% you're right. And some of these uh, hardline political texts are absolutely my favorite to read. Um, 
I know some great, great, great Democrats that are hardcore hunters and fighting for our rights to keep hunting. So just just keep that in mind as you go. At the same time, anonymous from Montana, I pretty much to me, your text sounds like Matt Ranella. I pretty mm. much agree with you. It's just too hard line. It's too you're saying all of the people from this group do this. All of backcountry hunters and anglers think this, and none of that's true. I know some guys that are just perfectly in line with everything I think that are avid members of backcountry hunters and anglers. Um, I also am completely aware of all of the facts that make people think negatively of backcountry hunters and anglers as an organization. When we first got married, my wife said this to me. She said, I wish people wouldn't put people in buckets. Or oh, boxes, right, yeah. And, well, she said buckets. That's how I remember it. And that's what we mess up the most in this country, is that mm -hmm. guy belongs to that organization. And So he's in that so bucket. So he's in that bucket. Or, that, or, you know, and I mean, it goes all the way back to thousands of years ago. That guy worships that god or that guy has that skin color or that guy, you know, wears those shoes. So he's in that bucket. Some, mm -hmm. to some extent, sometimes that's true, but it's not always true. And when you come across as true, that's the closed mind. When you come across as it being a rule and not a generalization, that's when, that's what Matt Ranella does wrong. In my opinion, I, I agree with everything mm -hmm. he says, except for when he says everyone does it. That's the part I don't agree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have multiple. I mean, the rest of the there, there, there's a lot. There was a lot of great texts, um, and when we skip two weeks of of uh, roundups, there's just not time to get through all of them. So I apologize, but keep sending us texts at six two zero eight six zero forty eight zero four, or you can email us at info at bloodorigins .com. Obviously, I missed the post, Robbie, where you said something about wanting content from uh, Oh, yes. Because <laughs> I happened to. You've been inundated? I happened to get the info at Blood Origins email that you gave out on that post. And they're coming. So yeah, that's uh, what, what, what was your request for? Yeah. So um, we are interested in obviously promoting hunting. We've never really gotten into the game of promoting the game of hunting, if you want to call it that, or the, the, the lifestyle of hunting. What we've been in the game of is promoting hunting benefits and consequences and hearts and what hunting does for people, for wildlife, for communities all around the world. But I thought, why could we not figure out a way to encourage people to go hunt? We've got the perfect platform to do it. Let's encourage people to go hunt. Don't wait. Especially in today's world that is the United States, in which public land access is getting limited, more and more hunters crowding out the places, people getting frustrated. Uh, preference point creep is a very big reality pretty much in every single state. And the chances of you pulling your tag that you're looking to do for instance let's talk about elk you want to go elk hunting in new mexico in the gila 
Well, you may be waiting 20, 25 years to pull that tag. Or in Wyoming, you may be waiting 10 years, 11 years to pull a beautiful Wyoming elk tag. When you could just fly overnight down to Argentina in the raw and experience an incredible hunt. And it'd be a third of the price and you could do it tomorrow. What do you think that... um... And so we just want to give people information. We just want to say, did you know you can? Did you know that you can fly tomorrow, literally tomorrow, in certain places in Argentina and still kill a red stag with massive antlers on its head? They haven't dropped yet in certain places. There's that. People are like, uh, no, I didn't know that. And you could probably get a bloody good deal right now because they haven't had a single hunter in camp for six weeks or seven weeks. There's a stigma. There's a thing. You and I have talked about this multiple times. About. I know guys that will spend. I, hmm. I don't know. I know guys that spend. I'm about to go to Africa for two weeks. Um, somewhat, you know unknown i'm kind of pissing the ph off because i still haven't sent over my wish list of animals to chase but and take my and and take my take my wife with me you know and we're going to spend less money than some guys spend on elk hunts some americans spend on elk hunts in the united states I, I don't think it's the money, I, and, but I, but those same guys will tell me they can't afford to go to Africa. I don't, I don't understand the. Uh, yeah, it's a good idea. So any, uh, I think what we're doing is we want to, you know, we don't need to show any of the trophy pictures. We don't need to show any of the kills. What I want to show is the people and the good times and the amazing food that you're about to oh. eat in South Africa and the landscapes that you get to hunt in. And how many species could you hunt whilst you're there? 20? Oh, no, it's more than that. I think the list is like 45. I mean, that takes it all the way down to birds and predators, but yeah. So, you could just... I just just want people to know, and I want people to know that you don't have to wait. You can just go have an amazing experience tomorrow. I want people to know that it's not as complicated. It's not... You know, some people will tell you... Like, you've heard that one horror story about everything that went wrong on an international hunt. You heard that because it's the exception and not the rule. Um, Mm -hmm. Most Mm -hmm. it's, it's a, it's an option that you should consider. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're going to feature Argentina. We're going to feature New Zealand. We're going to focus those in the next two, uh, probably next three to four or five months. Um, And the reason people are like, well, why Argentina? Why New Zealand? Why not South Africa? Well, New Zealand and um, and Argentina, really. New Zealand really hasn't finished coming out of lockdown. They're, they're, they are open, but they're phasing their opening. And Argentina really opened in March, really, for the first time. So those two countries really got smacked hard by COVID. And so we just want to support the outfitters there. We want to support the hunting industry there. Uh, because those are the backbones of what we do. It's the backbones of wildlife conservation in those areas. And uh, we think it's our duty to do it. We we are cheerleading. We're the cheerleaders for hunters. And we're the cheerleaders for hunting. And it's a good thing to also, do. Also, if you've never heard a red stag roar, um, 
Oh, and you wouldn't just hear one, right? That's the thing. Everyone, like, you go elk hunting, you're chuffed when you hear one bugle, right? You go red stag raw hunting in the raw down there, it's like a valley just as, like, a cacophony of roars coming out of the You know the only place I've ever heard a red stag roar? Spain. Maine. Maine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I've still heard it. And it's a, it's a, it's an yeah, incredible yeah. noise, even when it's barreling through the main mountains. But uh, no, well, let, hey, let's. I know you're getting anxious because we're at 58 minutes. I am. I'm getting anxious. Let's cover one article real quick. How old is too old? Oh, how, how young, young is, too, is young? too young? I'll give you my answer. That's what I was hoping. For. So, so, so this article is uh, in bowhunting.com, and the article title is "How Young Is Too Young to Start Hunting." And if you go to the bottom of that article, they have a graph. And it goes from four years old, which I can't believe there's actually any boxes checked on four, to all the way through 13. And then there's a column that says when ready, 22%. I'm in that when ready category. Because I think that different kids have different personalities. Like my kids just got comfortable shooting that 410 shotgun last duck season. They're just not comfortable shooting a 2-2 rifle. But I know a friend of mine, Matt Comment, just sent me his kid, who's 8 years old, shooting a 300 Win Mag and smacking a target at 400 yards. 450 yards, sorry, Matt. So to me, it's, it's up to the kid, man. The kid, you know your kid better than anyone. And if the kid is ready to pull the trigger on something and you know that he's ready, or she's ready, sorry, I didn't mean to be sexist, um, that's where I stand. I'm hoping to kill a deer in front of the boys this year for the first time. Yeah. And we'll see what they say at that point. I think that, I think that, that I would have liked to see more of that discussion in the article, honestly, of, of how young is too young to take a kid with you while you hunt and then how young is too young to have a kid do the killing, right? There's two different conversations there. Hundreds, hundreds. And, and uh, I don't think there is a too young to take them out um, until you either make it miserable or they, you know, completely ruin the hunt or whatever. But no, it, it's an interesting read. Um, seemed like a little bit of a, I hate watching movies. Like, have you ever watched a like a crime movie, and at the end of the movie, you still don't know who did it? Like inconclusive movies. Those those movies make me want to punch the director in the face. But the the article was kind of that way. Like that the the title made you think you were going to get this definitive seven months, four seven years, four months, three <laughs> days is when kids should start hunting, but. I think he gave, come around yeah. with the right answer, and I agree with you. It's a, it's about the uh, when they're ready, um, and there's nothing that's too young or too old to start when you're ready. That's my thought. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting. They got some. They they copied in a. Uh, obviously, they place this on Facebook, and there's a bunch of different responses from Facebook in there, and. Um, so the first one, both my sons were given their first hunting rifle at 10 years old. It was a rite of passage. They both harvested their first year the following season. Uh, another one, it's going gonna, it's gonna to vary depending on the kid. My daughters were hunting at five and shooting at 10, but I know five-year-olds that have been on the trigger successfully. Another one, not sure if there's a, 
quote unquote too young age, each kid is different. Interesting question though, and the last one. When they seem to know when they they being the kids, when they seem to know what it means to take a life. And that's also something, you know, that I really want them to understand is what does that actually mean? Yeah, but I don't think you could like that particular comment, while I completely get the gist and the and the motivation behind that comment, semantically I disagree with it. Because I don't think you know until you do it. Like I, I, I don't think I don't think No, it doesn't have to get it doesn't have to be in depth though. It could be though just a simple this is where food comes from. Yeah, but to know what it means to take a life. I think any of us, and this doesn't, I mean, I'm not being a jerk at all about this. It doesn't completely apply to you, Robbie, because you got started in hunting a little bit later than than some folks did. Um, it's different when you're a kid. I mean, when, when, when there, if you start as a kid, you don't understand it. But I think if you start as a kid, by the time you kind of become a young adult, you understand it better or as well as anyone in the world, right? I think there's a mm-hmm. there's a time and a place when there's there's preteens and adolescents out there hunting, and if you had if you could just suck their truthful intentions and motivations out of their brain, they're not the purest thing. They're 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 curious and they want to brag and they you know those types of things. But but that's where a good mentor, you know, and, and experiencing it in a proper fashion molds that the right thoughts about it. I don't think you can understand what it means to take a life until you've taken at least one, if not several lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well said. Well said. Well, welcome back, man. That was awesome. I've missed doing that. Yeah, me too. I really enjoyed that. Me too. We're back at it every week now. Nobody's stressed. We just had some scheduling things over the last two weeks that got got wound up. Until you disappear to Africa and I'm in the air to Spain. But we'll figure that out. We're still going to do it when you're in the air to Spain. and uh, I'm, I'm, We could do it the day before. I have this thought process that I want to try to do it. I want to try to do a roundup from Africa. We're just going to have to do it at a different time because our normal... <laughs> Time. Hell, let's do that. Let's do that. You have freaking Carl next to you. Let's get good Wi-Fi, and we bring Carl in the on the roundup. He has. We he do has, it at a different time. He has good Wi-Fi at at, uh, at his lodge, so I think we got to try and do it. We're just gonna not do it at our normal scheduled time because that's bad timing in Africa. No, we do it first thing in the morning, my time. That's five thirty in the morning, and it'll be lunchtime your time. So you guys will be done hunting for the day, and you'll be in hopefully be in camp. Don't give away the fact that we don't hunt hard all day when we're over there. Some some people do. We go over there and Not just you. kill ourselves from sun up to sundown. Ah, there's some PHs that work for call that will do that to you. Oh, absolutely. I know a couple of them. We're going to go after it. All right. Sounds good. All right. Ciao. Bye. Right. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.